anyway, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, there's this picture of God's rest, which is his presence and his promise that we're invited to enter into. And it's this uh, uh, invitation to not today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You know, and then it goes on to talk about this idea of uh, a complete and consistent rest that we're offered in him and that the word of God, the things we hear, the voice of God that we hear is sharper than a two-edged sword, even to divide soul and spirit to bring us to this, this place. Anyway, it's this picture, you know, and, and then Curtis sort of came up at the end and, you know, sort of said, oh, I think everything's been said and it really hadn't, you know, and Curtis dropped on us this idea that this passage for him, he was led to because of God starting to speak to him about uh, his desire being sorry, that's not uh, that God's desire is for that that God's desire is for uh, obedience and not sacrifice. And I sat in that this week, Curtis, that that notion, you know that that God is not looking for something that I can conjure up and that I can produce. And, you know, sacrifice is what I can take and make happen, you know, uh, but that he's desiring obedience. And, you know, so often obedience feels like sacrifice, doesn't it? What I was reflecting on is that when God invites me to join him in what he's doing in my life, it might seem like sacrifice. But obedience requires surrender. And in surrendering to obedience, there's never a sacrifice. I'm always the beneficiary of the path of obedience. You know, and I think it's, I think it's an interesting change of terms to go, in my obedience, God is getting life to me. That is where rest is found. You know, it's like this invitation, don't today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. God desires obedience, not sacrifice. Don't twist obedience up as sacrifice. Sacrifice is what we can do, what we can gut out, what we can provide, what we can afford, what we can make happen, the pain that we can endure to produce something good. You know, and obedience often feels like that, but obedience takes surrender, but is never sacrifice. And yeah, that really worked on me this week, Curtis, but... You know, as, as I was processing that, you know, and processing this idea of obedience, I started to think about this idea of believe, belief, or unbelief. You know, and uh, I mean, for those of us that got us back in my heart journey study this week, looking back at the chapter on believing, and I was, you know, rethinking about these terms that Ray Andrews has introduced to us around the unbelieving believer, you know, one who knows jesus who has a belief in him but in fact is living out unbelief it had me sitting in this idea of of um what does it truly look like to believe and i felt like god was saying to me this these words believe and live believe and live it was like this equation of when you believe you will live you know and and, and there's this 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 phrase kicking around, like Lila's been saying it for a while. I just want to live. I want to live. I don't want to be constrained. I don't want to be restricted. I don't want fear to determine my story. I don't want to be robbed. I want to live. And it's like, you know, 
you know, these, these words that God's saying to me, you know, believe and live. And, and then the first verse that came to mind was John 3, 16. We know it, but let's read it. From the Amplified, it says, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes and trusts in him, a savior, shall not perish, but have eternal life. As I sat in this, because the thing that I'm considering isn't heaven or it isn't a post-death living. It's I want to live now, you know, and, and I feel like the promise that God's speaking out is believe and live. And so you know, I came to this verse with that in mind. And it's like, well, I guess that's what he's saying here. Anyone who believes and trusts in him will live. And so it sent me to go look at, well, what is, what's this idea of eternal life, you know, and you know, some people would define it as perpetual life, life in perpetuity, a life that will never end, a life-giving flow that can't be quashed. And it's like, gosh, well, that sounds good. I'll have a side order of, I'll have a side order of uh, a flow of life that never ceases. You know, or, uh, you know, um, a continuous life-giving flow. I mean, then that idea sent me back to this, these passages where Jesus says like, you know, come to me, all who are thirsty. Uh, if you drink from this well, you will never thirst again. It's like the life of Christ believing in him brings about a nourishment and a life and a flow and a existence that doesn't cease. And it's like, I think maybe I've made some of these belief verses about like, uh, an academic exercise mm -hmm. believe and receive and it's like i believe in him and therefore i'm going to have eternal life but what if belief is actually what produces this flow in my life mm -hmm. you know and and uh you know that's a phrase that ray andrews uses you know we live the fruit of our belief we live the fruit of our believing. You know, I guess another way of putting that, that, uh, you know, experiencing God, the study experiencing God would say is um, what we do says more about what we believe than what we say. How I live or my actions actually reveal more about my believing than what I say. And I mean, that, that's an interesting, so if, if my beliefs lead to life, that's where I find, if it's in my believing that life flows, then uh, it must also be in my believing that death flows. Mm -hmm. My belief system, you know, I think when we think about belief as something we consciously hold, you know, maybe you were missing it. Because I, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, and I'm, I'll, I'll bring this to a point quickly because I feel like I could just, yeah down this well but it's like have you ever been surprised by coming to see something you believe that you didn't think you believed you know almost like there's a part of myself where belief exists that i'm catching up to it's not what i thought but it's become evident to me that it is what i believe that what i think and what i believe can have a gap between them and that what i believe can be held by a part of me it's determining life pre-consciously, not even from conscious choice, but it's from innate and initial 
response, reaction, you know, in some senses could belief be the lens through which we view life more than it is the thoughts that we have about them? You know, could it be the lens through which we come to see anything before we've even thought about anything? You know, could my being be a, a precursor or a more powerful part of me than the thinking part of me? And I don't think that's a new idea to us. But John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, um, puts this, puts this in, in, in terms that I think are, are helpful as well. It says, uh, there are also many other signs attesting the miracles. This is sort of like at the end of the gospel, and it's speaking to why John wrote the gospel. So he's gone through all these stories of all the miracles and all the things that have happened, the story of Jesus. And he says, there are also many other signs attesting to miracles. There's lots of other things that have happened. Um, you know, it goes on to say, so just read it. Attesting, <laughs> there are also many other signs attesting miracles that Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe with a deep abiding trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the son of God, and that by believing and trusting and relying on him, you may have life in his name. But these have been written so that you may believe with a deep and abiding trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the son of God, and that by believing and trusting in and relying on him, you may have it's like when I when I try and like lift off like the the religious perspective that I've gained and the, and kind of like this trusty knowledge based academic view of this and I go if this is suggesting to me that my belief releases to me life my belief in Jesus releases to me life in his name well what would that look like what should that look like what's that meant to look like and then i think in even considering that it helps me imagine the parts of my life that must be stuck in unbelief because that's not my experience you know this 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 is saying that believing isn't about a confession or about a knowing it's about an action that is trusting and relying on him and so if, if belief was defined as the part of me that trusts and relies deeply on Jesus, and you know, then I put that, insert that back into John 3.16, you know, whoever trusts and relies on Jesus completely will have life. It's like the, the parts of me that resist trusting and relying on God, are they leading me to death? Are they, are they leaving me on my own? Are they... Are they robbing me of something that is accessible and available to me? And, you know, I mean, in an honest moment, like I was sitting, I was sitting this morning just thinking about this and I was thinking, I really have a belief problem. Like I do. If I, if I look at my life and I look at how I'm feeling about things and I look at how I'm approaching the things that are occurring in my world and I look at how I'm forecasting my mentality around my situation, I'm waiting still for God to prove himself. I'm still waiting for him to prove himself, you know, and the miracles that Jesus did. And, the, you know, if you think about the story of the Israelites, they saw him part the sea like that. And they walked through on dry land. 
They saw food fall from the sky. They saw a pillar of fire that led them in a cloud by day. Like this was incredible acts of God proving himself on their behalf. But when they got to the promised land, they didn't believe. Their unbelief was revealed by their no to enter into the promise. And if I'm honest, that's me. I am one who has experienced God. I am one who has seen his miracles. I have one who has seen his hand at work in my world and seen his story, but I'm still asking him to prove himself to me. That's unbelief. Ah, I'm hedging my bets both ways, or I'm, I'm not free to trust and rely on him. In here, there's unbelief that's second-guessing him. And look, I don't think we'll ever be free from doubt, so don't, don't get me wrong, you know. But I think belief, belief in Jesus isn't qualified by the absence of doubt. It's belief is qualified by the action-filled step to move towards, even when I do doubt, because you are who you say you are. But, you know, and that sounds like a nice thought, but it's like, for me, there are resisting parts. There's parts of my heart that aren't believing Jesus is who he said he was, that he'll do what he said he'd do, that he can accomplish what he said he would. You know? And so, I mean, I guess, like if we stop and pause there for a minute and, and just take some time in our, our rooms or on Zoom to process this idea of believe and live. You know, where, where do we see this principle playing out? Where do we see belief re- released? life to us or where do we see unbelief robbing us of life you know like let's let's just talk for a minute about this idea or or how do we understand this idea of believing like you know i I, in all honesty i wrote tested a couple of these thoughts on lila last night and she was like i'm just not sure i'm getting what you're saying (laughs) so i'm 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 cautious i'm cautiously confident that this will be meaningful uh and and because you know it it's like I think we have come to accept that belief is what we know and and what we know is what we live but really what we're saying here this morning is when i hold belief that distrusts it supersedes what i know and actually my actions are going to be a better uh revealer of my belief than what i know and i'm in a battle between those two to see my living, revealing my believing uh, versus what I know or what to understand. So anyway, let's, let's take a second, let's throw it out. We'll, we'll take 10, 15 minutes, we'll chuck it out to groups. Uh, and and let's, let's talk about this idea of believe and live or unbelief and constriction of life. And just this idea of, uh, you know, what, is, what does believing in Jesus mean to us now, I'd, I'd like to return us to john three sixteen, but just to sort of zoom ourselves out to a little bit broader on what comes after that so john three sixteen to 21 just just to just to, to 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 round this out a little bit and go well well what is the answer to unbelief uh you know and i think it sits in the comments we've already had and so really i just feel like i'm summarizing what's already been shared here and then we'll chat about that again but John 3, 16 to 21 says, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send the Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, that is, to initiate the final judgment of the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes and has decided to trust in him as personal Savior and Lord is not judged. For this one there is no judgment, no rejection, no condemnation. But the one who does not believe and has decided to reject him as personal Savior and Lord is judged already. I mean, let's pause there for a second. Like he's not saying he's coming with judgment for that person. He's not saying that person is judged already. It's like, it's like you, you're walking in the judgment that comes from the choice you've made to not believe. It's like the death isn't the will of God to administer upon a person. It's the fruit of the choice that we've walked out, which is without the dependence, without the reliance, without the trust. I'm living in a sentence that I've chosen for myself. I'm already judged. It says Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to save it from the judgment we already find ourselves in. And so if I find myself in a place of self-determination, that's just coming just for Leela. Thanks, Tim. Um, you know, if I'm if the judgment that I'm that I'm walking in already is because I've, you know, it's almost like what Glenn was sharing. You know, that when I choose not to receive the rest, I walk in the unrest. Not because God's trying to give me unrest, but because I've chosen not to depend and rely on what is a life-giving source. Anyway, uh, but the one who does will jump back in. But the one who does not believe and has decided to reject him as personal savior and Lord is judged already. That one has been convicted and sentenced because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the one and only begotten son of God. The one who is truly unique, the only one of his kind, the only one alone who can save him. This is the judgment that is the cause for indictment, the test by which people are judged the basis for the sentence, the light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were full of evil. For every wrongdoer hates the light and does not come to the light, but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. But whoever practices truth and does what is right morally, ethically, spiritually, comes to the light so that his works may be plainly shown to be what they are, accomplished in God, divinely prompted, done with God's help, in dependence on him. I think in the second half of this passage, we find some of the keys to believing. You know, it talks about this idea that, uh, that this is this is the test by which we are living. This is the this is the reality in which we find ourselves. This is the basis of judgment. That light came into the world, and what does light do? It exposes. It reveals. It shows what's true. Right? What does darkness do? It hides. It conceals. It leaves things unseen. And says, "This this is this is it. This is the crux of it." That light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. You know, and the truth of the matter is there are parts of our heart that we don't believe can be known or can be seen or should be exposed. 
that's, 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 you know, there's, there's a truth in that. Shame seeks to leave in the dark what we fear to be exposed. We love the darkness. And when you look at this and you think about, you take the religion off of this passage, take the, take the, the, the sin and evildoer and wrongdoer, like take that off and go, you know, really separation and independence from God is what that's defined. So take that off and go, the parts of me that I hide because I believe they are intolerable or can't be shown or don't want them to meet the light. Uh, you know, that, that, that's the role of shame in our life, that it would hide what is not worth being revealed. And then we fear the light. And, and, and what he's saying is those who believe in Jesus, believe what he said about who he is, that he's come full of grace and full of truth, that he's come to bring life to us, receive light and light exposes us. And in that exposing, we come to depend on him. And in our dependence on him, our works are revealed for what they are. I mean, I feel like in some ways, and I don't want to, I feel like I could, we could talk for a really long time about this. And it's, it's not what I intend to do. Uh, you know, I feel like we're back in Hebrews chapter four here, which is the word of God is a double-edged sword that comes to separate soul and spirit to reveal the very heart and the very motive. The light of Christ came that he might reveal, that he might expose, but, but not so that he could shame us or that he could judge us, but so that he could save us. So he could rescue us from the shame that we find ourselves trapped in that leaves us hiding from him and from one another, that he could come and expose. But what do we need in the exposure? Then we need his truth. And, and, and this is where obedience comes to pass. You know, he desires obedience, acceptance, not sacrifice. You know, and the, the obedience comes when do not harden your hearts. When you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. You know, here... Here we have this place that goes, that, um, man, I feel like I'm having a really hard time succinctly connecting this. So we're, we're going to trust that, that we'll, we'll take it away and make good of it. But there is a, a place where we find ourselves where what's been hidden becomes revealed. And we have a choice now to receive truth into that. My obedience is not sacrifice that I would go and do a hundred things. My obedience is that I would trust his voice today and walk out in faith the thing he's saying. And, and if that's about me, if it's about my past, belief in him, you know, is, is, is sometimes challenged most in letting myself off the hook or redefining my view of myself or trusting that what he says moving forward is going to be, uh, you know, the, um, when the light comes and exposes what's been held in darkness, even from me, you know, vulnerability becomes my key in dealing with unbelief. Am I prepared to look at my own story, my own narrative? Am I prepared to see what God sees in the mix of that and then believe and obey what he says? Let let the view of God for the life that I'm living be the view that I adopt and to allow me to be constantly adjusted by what truth would see. When light comes and it exposes what's been held in the dark, when it comes and it reveals my own heart to me, when it comes and reveals the place that I find myself in, you know, as this is where I love what you were saying, it's like the choice we have to obey always requires faith. 
You know, the, the, choice, the choice of obedience is always a faith step, trusting and relying on what God says over what I feel. And the, the unbelieving part will always be present in some way, shape, or form. And it's like when, when we stop seeking to hide in the dark what we would rather not see or be seen, and we let and receive this light which comes, it will reveal an obedience that emerges in trusting and relying on God that, that shows our acts to be what they plainly are, a life that's been accomplished in God, divinely prompted, done in God's help, independence on him. And it's like, you know, the unbelieving parts of my heart that refuse obedience or refuse his voice or refuse his path, uh, you know, these are the, um, this is the place I find myself in needing to enter into his rest. I think, uh, you know, and then what, what would occur in the, you know, I, I, I trust in our, I trust in our groups. We're going to make some really good sense of these ideas, tease them out and flush them out. Cause I feel like, we're, you know, uh, reaching for the edges of what we're capable of grasping and looking to use these verses and these images and these uh, discussions to do that. But, you know, in Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 to 19, Paul says, and I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people, so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who These are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength. You know, that there is a part of us that needs to be enlightened and illuminated. And as it is, that there would be a confident expectation and a divine guarantee that would emerge and that we would come to see that there is a uh, unlimited spiritual power that is in us who believe. My belief releases to me a drawing upon a power and a strength and an operating system that ministers life to me and to those around me. And my unbelief, my absence of reliant trust and dependence on God robs me and my family of that. I see that playing out in my life without, without question. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth chewing on, you know, it is, is, there a, is there a relationship between vulnerability and receiving the light? Believing that what will be revealed won't be too much or won't be to my shame or won't be to my rejection, but it will be to the ministry of life. Is shame robbing me of a freedom to see unbelief that robs me of believing fully in Jesus, receiving his goodness, living out his life, his story, and how he sees me? Let's, let's, let's chew on it for a minute. This in our groups, we'll. we'll kick it out for 15. I know we got started a bit late this morning, so we're going to run to 10 past 12, I'm sure. If people need to bail, that's all good. But let's let's jump into our rooms just for just for 10, 15 and just, just chat about this idea of um, 
of light coming, revealing. Uh, and, and in that process, there being a process of unbelief coming to a faith-filled choice to obey and receive the voice of God. And, and I know we're we'll getting a little bit complex. So we're going to trust. We're going to trust we're going to be able to chew on it and make something good out of it. So, yeah, throw it out. Be back, uh, back in here.